0: If you are looking to pair food with beer, Saison's a bit of a cheat code (laughs) that it's got enough flavors that it will pick up on just about anything.
1: It's like pesto on sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. Straight up cheat code for making better sandwiches. All right, we are back with another episode of Hoppy Night in Canada. I'm John calling in from Toronto and uh, joining me as always is Dave in Vancouver.
0: Hey John, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty well. Um, we're we're live now. We're on iTunes. We we and got St- we we made technology work.
0: And Stitcher, and I still don't actually know what Stitcher is. I'm assuming it's <laughs> just iTunes, or I'm assuming it's just a podcast service for people who don't like Steve Jobs.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I I know my brother uses it, and that was enough of a reason to to uh, try and get our podcast up on there.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. So,
1: one thing that I did notice. Listening back to the first episode is, I mean, I I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're not we're not trying to be too inside baseball. Uh, We're not trying to drop references that people don't understand. But uh, sometimes I get caught up with the fact that it's just you and I talking, and we have talked about things before when we're not being recorded, and and people who are listening might not know. So I I did a thing where I referenced an event called Swansea Day, and I never actually explained what that was. So I, I may start with that because that'll segue actually into the topic we wanna we wanna talk about today, which is uh, beer events, events around beer, and that covers a lot of ground. So Zwanzee Day is uh, a good example of of a certain type of beer event that I that I kind of want to talk about. The very quick backstory is uh, there's a brewery uh, called Cantillon, which is out of Belgium. Coming back to the sour beers that we were talking about last episode, they're sort of renowned for. Um, uh, that very kind of particular style of, of Belgian sour beers of, of lambics, And once a year they make, uh, a sort of one-off small batch beer called Swansea. It's actually, it's a different beer every year, but every year they just, they call it Swansea. So I think this past year it was a sour stout two years ago. Maybe it was a sour red, something like that. It's, it's different every year. They make a very small amount they put it into kegs and they distribute those worldwide to a very small number of bars. I forget the exact number off the top of my head. I know in Canada that there are three. There's uh, one in Toronto, one in Montreal, and one in Vancouver. And the idea is all these bars across the world get their one keg of Swansea On one specific day, they all tap the keg at the same time, and that is Swansea day. And it's interpreted kind of differently at every bar. So I know in Toronto, there's uh, the bar that gets it as a, or that's had it the last few years at least, uh, is called Bar Volo. Uh, they turn it into a sour beer night and they get a DJ in uh, playing funk music and they just call it Funk Night. So that's pretty good, it's it's incredibly popular and Bar is a really small bar so it's usually hard to get in uh, and they do it differently every year. I know I, in Vancouver, Dave, I think you were telling me that it's done at BeerCraft.
0: Yeah um in the past it was done at the alibi room which is for the listeners who don't know probably the best beer bar on the west coast north of san francisco
1: i as someone who no longer lives in vancouver like i still think about alibi room is still one of my favorite bars possibly that i've ever been to period
0: it's so good, and I don't go to it often enough for how good it is. But every time I'm there, it's just like I need to be here every day. <laughs> but yeah, so Alibi Room had Zwanza Day for a couple of years. I think maybe only two, but the last, at least the last two years now, it's been at BeerCraft, and that it, that kind of makes sense because BeerCraft is a Belgian beer specializing bar. They always have a cup. They always have a few taps of you know, Pacific Northwest beer and some American beer and some other imports as well. But their thing is they have something like 120 different bottles of Belgian beer in the cellar and they always have a few Belgian beers on tap as well. And so it's a Belgian beer bar.
1: Yeah, so it would it would make sense that that they of all the places in Vancouver would at least get a shot at, at hosting the event.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't, I can't remember what it was this year. I don't think this year was as big a deal as it was in the past. Like I think this year it was just Zwanza day, come in, have a glass of this, of the Zwanza beer if you want, but otherwise it's just like regular menu and, and everything. However, the year before that it was, I believe a beer sort of Zwanza day beer dinner where you paid for your ticket and you got a glass of Zwanza and you got some other beer throughout the night and you got a five course meal or something like that. But the tickets were expensive. Yeah. It was something like $125 per seat.
1: That's that's a pretty steep price. And like, I'm sure that it's good. Like from what I remember, BeerCraft has good food, um, the beer is going to be really good. Like I'm sure the event is going to be really good, but that is a high price to pay.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, part of me thinks that, and I, I don't know whether they did a little bit of a false, like they had, they had some false ideas of it being really popular and I don't know whether it sold out or not, but I know that Zwanza a day when Alibi held it was wildly popular and you had to be at a different night to win the right to go like to win a lottery to go to swans a day
1: yeah and that was the one like i ended up going to the raffle night whenever it was three four years ago i want to say uh and that's as i mentioned last episode um I, I went to the raffle night which was a fun night in and of itself did not end up winning a
0: ticket yeah and so i think that BeerCraft was expecting some like a similar desire for tickets and maybe that's why they're like okay well we'll it have an initial call of people that are going to be like, okay, $125 is too much. Yeah. And I, I don't know whether it did sell out. I can't, I, I, I just, I can't remember off the top of my head. Cause I didn't go, obviously I didn't go. I've never been to is one's a day event, but I kind of feel like because they didn't make as big of a deal of it this past year, maybe it wasn't as successful as they had hoped the previous year. I don't know.
1: So this, this sort of dovetails a bit. So, so that's Wansey Day. And, uh, and and I wanted to clarify that because I realized, like, yeah, I, I didn't want to be that person who first episode of the podcast is just like, oh, look at all these things that I know. Because as I hope I've made abundantly clear by now, I don't know much about anything. But this sort of opens the door to, to the discussion about beer events. And the topic sort of came up for me recently my wife and I went to Ottawa for a long weekend in February. And we went to the, I believe it was just called the Ottawa Winter Brewfest or something along those lines. They had an event in Ottawa and an event in Toronto about three weekends later. And it was an interesting experience. And it started me thinking about, you know, the, the various types of sort of beer related events that, that one can go to and that are available. And I wanted to kind of get your take on it, Dave, because I don't, like what? In in summary, what is your what is your short take on on beer events?
0: I kind of feel like beer events are a bit of a mixed bag, for many many reasons, and it is it's it's hard it's hard to paint beer events with one brush. It's true, and I know that you know. Doing some planning leading up to this episode, we talked like we were going to do a thing about beer festivals versus beer weeks versus tap takeovers. And the one, my favorite kind of beer event, and we'll probably talk about this at the end of the, at the end of the podcast or towards the end of the podcast, my favorite kind of beer events is beer pairing dinners.
1: Yeah. And and that's one that I have pretty much no experience with. I mean, speaking of beer craft and, and pairing and things. Um, so I'm definitely curious to hear more about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess probably the easiest place to start in terms of beer events is probably beer festivals.
1: Yeah. And that's and that's fresh on my mind, um, because not only did I just come from one, but I'm actually um, so we're going to uh, San Diego in about a week's time. And I'm going to be going to there's a San Diego beer fest that I'm going to with my brother while we're down there. And um, in spite of my just previous experience in Ottawa, which overall wasn't great, I, I figured I would give it one more shot. At going to these sort of larger festivals, so so when we talk festivals, I guess the the sort of general principle. I mean, I think a lot of people will be familiar with the idea, but it's normally held in a sort of general, larger event space. A bunch of breweries are brought in, usually bringing a couple of beers, either special one-offs. I've I've seen both sides where like I've seen somewhere you get a bunch of breweries in and they bring sort of. A lot of their core beers, representative samples, almost like a marketing campaign. And then I've seen other ones that sort of sell themselves as you come to this event because everyone's going to bring things that they're never going to... It'll be one-offs across the board. Right. But yeah, you you come in and, I, again, I've seen them run multiple ways. Sometimes it's, you know, nominal price at the door and you pay per drink either in tokens or some, like, nominal fee for kind of a five-ounce tasting glass. Um, the one I'm going to in San Diego is a bit weirder. The entry price is higher, but it's unlimited samples.
0: Ooh. So, you, don't, you don't see that very often? That could be excellent or could also be super, super messy. This is,
1: yeah, this is, I, I tried to do some research on the previous year's event. And I guess, like, the one thing that I found from... Uh, reviews of a previous year was get out early um so that's probably some advice that we're going to be taking
0: yeah i i believe that that sounds like a great idea
1: because yeah like i'm sure like the first couple hours are going to be fine but you're absolutely going to have that class of person there who is going to take advantage of that rule with extreme prejudice
0: yes yes you will
1: so so yeah i mean so this this uh this beer fest in ottawa that we went to i mean one of the things was yeah so it was set up it was you know tickets were fairly cheap to get in the price of drinks was surprisingly high like per sample so it was something like you were getting a 5 ounce pour and most of the samples were like 4 or 5 dollars a sample oh wow which equals out that's to about a 20 out, 20 dollar pint
0: that's a lot that's a,
1: it's a lot and um I mean, I, I saw reviews of the of the Toronto event, and they basically had similar concerns, which was, it was a small space, it was overcrowded, it was kind of too loud, there wasn't really a lot of space to spread out because they had packed so many breweries in. Yeah, I heard in Toronto that there was more difficulty with, like, people getting served the wrong sample, so they'd ask for one thing, they'd get something else, and, like, that wasn't something I ran into, but, but apparently that was happening. So, like, the people staffing it seemed kind of not as knowledgeable about about what they were doing, what they were pouring. Yeah. i don't know just it it didn't It kind of rubbed me the wrong way, partially because I I feel like for me, the allure of a beer festival is kind of tying back to that fear of missing out that we were talking about last episode in that it seems like a good opportunity to go somewhere, get to try a little bit from a lot of breweries, especially ones that you normally don't have access to. So the real benefit of this is like being in Ottawa, there were a lot of Ottawa breweries, being that we're close to Quebec, there were a lot of Quebec breweries showing up. So it seemed like this good opportunity to go in and like try a bunch of new stuff, that I hadn't seen before. And that was one of the disappointing things was the selection actually, even from breweries that I don't normally have access to. It was beers that are, are like very easy to, to find on tap. Right. Um, so like they had, um, I'm going to get the pronunciation. This is where I, I reveal that I can't speak French. Uh, Trois Musketeers. <laughs> and, uh, But I think two of the three things they had were things that you can find at at most bars in the city and the LCBO carries from time to time. It was their Goza and something else that I'm forgetting at the moment. And so that feeling of like you go because you want to get some sort of unique things or different things and and you're kind of ending up with your standard menu that you could just find at a bar around the corner.
0: Yeah, that's kind of that's definitely kind of frustrating. Um, And in my experience with beer festivals, similar to this, the one you're describing in ottawa is that there's kind of for the most part it's kind of feels like a big cattle call yeah you know you got a whole bunch of people in the door and the one on the west coast that has sort of the has always kind of had the most cachet is the great canadian beer festival which is hosted the weekend after labor day in victoria every year
1: right which i've heard a lot about but i've never actually i never got a chance to go when i was living out on the west coast
0: I've gone a couple of times and I'd heard the reviews I had always heard from people, friends who had gone before, because I, I have a lot of friends who used to live in Victoria. And so there, I have several friends who had gone a couple of years before I ever went. And the, the in the years that I've gone, which it, it has actually been a couple of years since we've gone, but in the years that we've gone, I feel like it's gotten, the, the quality has dropped a little bit. But talking to my friends who had previously gone, what used to be great about Great Canadian Beer Fest is that, because it's in a big open field, the weather's always good, but they also used to bring in breweries that you just didn't find elsewhere in Vancouver and Victoria. And now they've, they've kind of stopped doing that. I think part of that might be because just distribution of some of those breweries is getting better in BC. So you can find a lot of those breweries more. Whereas five years ago, you just, you couldn't get ballast point. You couldn't get some of the, like yeah, you couldn't get those breweries anywhere in BC. And so it was special that they were there at the, at the beer festival.
1: Yeah, and we so we have a, 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 we had a similar thing. One of the really really good beer festivals uh, in Toronto is Cask Days. So it's held late fall every year. Um, it's sort of a big semi indoor event space. It's all cask beer, and they it's something like three hundred casks, uh, and they do kind of six sessions over the weekend. And one of the really cool things that they do is they do a mixture of uh, local Toronto. Greater Ontario, Eastern Canada, Western Canada, and then they have a a feature region. And so, the when we went two years ago, the feature region was California, and especially Southern California had a big showing. And so, it was this experience of like I know Ballast Point is increasing their distribution, but they still haven't made it to Ontario. Um, But that that you could get casks from Ballast Point and from Pizza Port and from like a couple of these just like breweries that have no scale no distribution and yet like for this one-off event they're kind of showing up and you, and you get to try some of their stuff. Like I thought that, that that sort of is the flip side and and yeah, part of it's the organization of just like it's literally a, a bigger space and it's a bit better run and it's a little bit, you know, more reasonable per sample. Um but part of it was that just this level of like you get to go and it's it's a unique experience. It's going to be different the following year because the selection is sort of unparalleled.
0: That's that sounds awesome. Um, And the camera BC or camera Vancouver runs twice a year. They run cask festivals that Mm -hmm. are kind of similar, but not certainly not to that scale. Um, Usually the cask festivals have between sort of 30 and 40 casks. One's in the spring, which this last year was at Steel Toad, which is kind of nice because it's literally around the corner from my house. Uh, but it was a session cask festival, so no beers were over five percent. That would and be
1: really nice. I'll be honest.
0: It was great. You know, we were having five ounce samples, and it was it was this it was the setup of you pay the, you pay we paid twenty five dollars for a ticket in the door or something like that, and that gave us our first four tokens, and then you buy more tokens. And you know, we we're getting five ounce five the five ounce samples were. Equal equated out to $1.25 or something like that. But yeah, it was, they were all session beers and they were all interesting. They're, they were just from local breweries. Some, I mean, some of them were new, the newer breweries. It was the first time I had experienced Callister Brewing. It was the first time I had experienced a couple of other ones. That was, and like, that was great because I didn't leave it feeling like I needed to just go for a nap right away <laughs> because these events are often in the afternoon
1: yeah um, and and and, like you say, I mean, there is when you go and sometimes there's the allure of like, oh man, like i uh, here's a brewery I've never tried, and all they've got is an imperial stout ten percent and I'm like i I guess I'll try it, but like I'm really not in the mood,
0: yeah, the other camera cask festival is always in January, and it is their winter festival, they call it, and it's it's, it's it's yeah, it's lots of darker beers. It's almost always heavy beers, and I just remember one year I went to it, and I only sort of remember getting home. And it's like, oh man, that, like I, as much as I do enjoy a good imperial stout and something like that, sometimes it's just, it's too much.
1: Yeah, it's a mixed bag sometimes, and I feel like on on one hand it's cool because you can you know. T- you can find a bunch of new stuff and, and, interesting things. And on the other hand, yeah, it can lead you to, you're going to try, uh, every 10% beer they have and it could go in a bad
0: way. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And yeah, exactly. kind of driven by that feeling of like, well, like I'm, I'm here and I got like, it's, it's, I, if not now, when?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. One of the other things that kind of can put me off a little bit about beer festivals and this, I don't feel like this is the case as much anymore as craft beer is becoming more and more mainstream, there's a little bit less sort of, I'm doing some air quotes, but you can't see it, a little bit less sort of hipster cred amongst the beer crowd at beer festivals. I feel like at some beer festivals that I've been to four or five years ago, there is a huge There was a group of people that had a sense of exclusivity there. Mm -hmm. And that kind of bugged me. Yeah, And it was always, especially if you're going to a beer festival in Vancouver, you kind of recognized a bunch of these people. (laughs) And, you know, maybe you'd seen them at some of the breweries. Maybe you'd you'd seen them at a couple other beer festivals. And they were friends with some of the brewers. And they were friends with people who owned the breweries. And so, you know, maybe they do have, maybe they deserve a, a little bit of a sense of exclusivity but it kind of gave off an air of snobbiness. And one of the things I like the most about beer and craft beer is that of all, like it doesn't to me have that same snobbiness that fancy that fine wine and whiskey and things like that kind of have.
1: Yeah, I mean it has it has the potential to be really sort of really open and welcoming and like This almost gets into a topic that that maybe for a later one, but yeah, it can go either way where like, I feel like it's something that can be very welcoming and can also be really, like you say, really snobby, really exclusive if it it goes the wrong way or with sort of the wrong crowd of people. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, like I've, I've definitely noticed the same. It's funny. I was going to say, like, I don't know. I feel like I've experienced it the other way where. Um, the snobbiness just changes to a different level where it's no longer you know oh I've I've been to brewery X locally and I've, I've I know the stuff that people don't it's the like yeah but did you you know bike around Belgium sampling every brewery and going to every <laughs> Trappist monastery and you're like all right calm down
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> that that is actually by the way a story that we overheard while at a beer event once uh, there <laughs> was a guy who was basically challenging someone else's cred by telling uh, everyone within earshot about his bike tour. Of Belgium
0: oh that's the worst list so (laughs) So bad that guy not that there's anything wrong with taking a cycling trip to Belgium and cycling to all the breweries and excitedly telling people about it yeah there's
1: there's there's a way to do it without coming across like just the worst type of person
0: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah exactly um All right. So that's, I'd say that's a pretty good summary of beer festivals in general. And in that, and I think my feeling, and I kind of feel like it's the same with you, is that sometimes they're great. I like cask festivals. Sometimes they aren't as great. For a variety of reasons,
1: yeah, and and I think I think it's that. I mean, my my sort of feeling at this point, because like I say, like we, we just came off an experience that like wasn't my favorite. Um, it's not that it was terrible. It just you know there were a bunch of things that I was like, nah, it's, you know I I would definitely keep this in mind going forward if I was looking at a different event. But I, you know, on the other hand, I'm I'm just about to go to one in about a week's time, um, so I feel like it's that. Like I I feel like I'm hitting a point where I've been to a few and I've enjoyed them, but I I would much more closely evaluate. What I'm getting into, you know, what's available, what's the cost going to be? Like, there's just there's a number of those factors because I, I don't necessarily feel like just because there's a really good beer selection, it's always worth going no matter what.
0: Yeah, and that I 100% agree with that. That said, the one my one last comment on it is because Craft Beer Week is always at the beginning of the summer in Vancouver, and uh, the Victor the Great Canadian Beer Fest is always at the end of the summer. There is something to be said. When it's a nice day for drinking beer outside.
1: Yes. And this is is actually, I think one of the things that sold me on going to the one in San Diego is because it's outside on the waterfront in March, which we've had a mild winter in Toronto, but it's still not warm. Uh, Meanwhile, it's going to be like apparently 18 degrees and sunny. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So that's going to be pretty nice.
0: There is something to be said for that. Um, and I would, so as a result, I would never begrudge somebody for going to a beer festival. If it's a sunny day and it's outside and you're just, and you get to drink beer, that's sometimes the best. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So do you want to talk about sort of the tap takeover idea?
1: So tap takeover tends to be where, um, a brewery or maybe a couple of breweries, I've seen it done where some breweries who have just done a collaboration beer will kind of partner up, uh, to do this and it will be, um, and they'll do, I mean, it, it, does what it says on the tin um they'll kind of book out a bar and every tap at the bar will be from that brewery or from those breweries whichever ones are running the the takeover and it's in general from what i've seen it's it's normally a mixture of you know things that they have kind of their standard core uh year-round availabilities and some uh some more rare seasonal things and it's i i kind of like it because it's a good as long as you like the brewery um i don't know if i've ever been to one for a brewery that i didn't know but for for breweries that i know but maybe are from further away or like i haven't had a chance to to try a lot of their stuff it can sometimes be a cool thing to go and it's almost like the experience of visiting the brewery in that you can get flights uh of of their various different beers and try a little bit of everything but you're at a bar instead so the food's normally better (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, totally. The main, I guess kind of the main place in Vancouver that does tap takeovers is the St. Augustine, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess I would say the St. Augustine is the second best beer bar in the city after Alibi Room. But Alibi doesn't really do the tap takeover idea. Alibi's thing is kind of, we have some of the best beer from some of the best beers you can get. And, you know, it's always changing. Nigel, who's the owner of the Alibi Room, often gets like special collaboration beers or special one-offs from breweries that no one else is ever gonna get. And he's got, you know, he pulls fi- he pulls favors with breweries that nobody else in this city would ever get.
1: <laughs> and I um, guess, yeah, I mean, i their uh, their take seems like something along the lines of, like our selection is good enough already.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you don't see tap takeovers at Alibi, whereas. Um, St. Augustine often does tap takeovers, which is, I, it's, I like, I really like the idea of tap takeovers. It's been a while since I've been to the, to an actual like day of tap takeover, mm-hmm. but I've often, or there's been a couple of times where I've been to the St. Augustine a day or two after a tap takeover and all the stuff is still on tap.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is one of the nice parts of like when you get a uh, a brewery that comes in, with, you know, multiple kegs, then yeah, the odds are likely they're not going to run out on the day. I mean, they may run out of some of the more popular things, but like the odds are very likely that, yeah, there is there's a sort of long tail for an event like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's which is kind of cool. And um, one of the things that I think has been a big sort of a, a big thing in terms of tap takeovers in at St. Augustine recently is uh, a couple of I, I think it's been the the importers have started doing tap takeovers when there's a new brewery or a brewery that's new to Vancouver that's now available that previously wasn't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's yeah. I, I remember. I mean, Stone did a similar Stone Brewing from the states did a similar thing in Ontario. Obviously, they they brought three beers in, so it wasn't exactly takeovers, but they did that where new of it newly available in Ontario and so they held events at a number of bars guaranteeing that their beer would be on tap.
0: Yeah, and that was one I can remember most recently was I think I want to say the distributor was Beer Thirst, but I don't know 100%. But they they were they had just introduced the uh Kona Brewing to Vancouver, oh, I guess. Oh, cool. And they had a Kona brewing tap tick over at the San August. So there was sixteen or eighteen different Kona brews on tap. And I guess from what I can tell, it went you went from the availability of sixteen of those beers to like maybe four of them regularly mm-hmm. available in Vancouver. But it means that we get the coconut porter from them and which is delicious. But uh it's it is kind of a, a it's it's kind of a nice opportunity for the, the the importers to kind of introduce the, all of the beers and introduce that brewery and get an idea of what people might like and what they should focus on bringing in.
1: That's actually an interesting point because I imagine from a distribution perspective, it is probably helpful, I would imagine, for, for someone who's bringing in maybe a new brewery and that idea of like, well, we're going to bring in one or two to start, but if we hold an event like this, we can kind of get an early read you know, a little bit of data, at least on, like, what goes quickly, what are people interested in beyond the beers that we know we're bringing in. And it can kind of, I would imagine it gives you at least a little bit of data from which to set future plans. Yeah, totally. Um, So, yeah, like, because it is, I mean, I guess, like, the cynical view on a tap takeover is it feels like a bit of a marketing ploy. But, like, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement, I feel like, for people who are fans of beer uh, and probably the, the breweries that are actually running the event.
0: I think that's true. And I mean, I think you're, I think that there's a lot of things in the beer industry that are kind of marketing ploys, including beer festivals sometimes.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But I kind of, and like the cynic, like you said, the cynic in me is often like, oh, it's just a marketing ploy. But On the other hand, like it means good beer and anything that means good beer is good to me. So I'm willing to be marketed to by breweries (laughs) if it means i'm getting good beer
1: yeah and i feel like there's there's a there's a big difference between like like that like a marketing ploy in the sense of a tap takeover like yeah but like it's it's beneficial for people who like beer and a marketing ploy like guinness deciding that it was the drink of halloween like that's just purely because they're like well we need to sell more that there's there's a more it feels like purely cynical angle to something like that as opposed to yeah something that for sure like they absolutely want to get their names out there and in in, in the game, I mean, especially places like Vancouver and Toronto, where just, it feels like every other week, there's a new brewery to keep track of. Like, you need some way to distinguish yourself, and if it's an event yeah. like that, like, so be it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: so I'd say, yeah, like, I mean, moving from, from tap Takeovers to other sort of events, I mean, there, there is, uh, as far as, like, things that are hosted at bars, and similar to tap Takeovers, but you you also get, I mean, things like Zwanzee Day, which we talked about, um, there's also like, uh, again, French, uh, Du Du Ciel, did their uh pesh mortel day which is their uh i guess yearly release i didn't look into it that much i know barvolo held it and i know that there was uh it, there was a version of it in vancouver and in a few other places but um they did a release of a number of varieties of their i'm trying to remember if it's an, if it's an imperial stout or it's just it a is. yeah it's it's an imperial, their imperial stout. stout okay yeah uh, but yeah pesh, that... yeah pesh mortel uh which is an imperial stout with i think brewed with cocoa and coffee beans Um, it's really good. And I think all the bars got, I think six varieties, one of which was on nitro and they did a cup one H and bourbon barrels, things like that.
0: Yeah, it was, it was hosted at, in Vancouver, it was hosted at steel toad and I wish we'd gotten a chance to go, but we went, we were in Victoria last weekend. So it wasn't, it it wasn't in the, in the cards for us, unfortunately, but yeah, it was, you you sent me that, you sent me the, um, the link to it. I was like, Oh man. Yeah. Any other time, that sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, and that was like, I ended up being busy that weekend and, and didn't get a chance to go. But it's funny, because it, it was also held at, at Bar Volo, um, and they also did a similar thing where they got, you know, the the different varieties of Peche, but they also had... Uh, I think they, they just did a run of... They have 40 taps, I think, there. And they did a run of all stouts, porters, all darker beers, oh, and did awesome. that sort of same, like, winter beer fest sort of thing.
0: Awesome, and that's that's great, because, I mean... Here it's starting to look like spring, and so if they do something like that and it's the last hurrah of winter beers, yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a cool like a, a tap takeover where you've got one, one brewery, many styles, and then on the other, like a sort of flip side of that arrangement is a theme night like that where you get many breweries but one or, or only a couple of styles and kind of a focus on that. And those, I think, like I would say, consistently have been my favorite type of events. Uh, as far as beer events go, Um, if only because like there are some, especially when it lines up with the interest of of what style you're interested in. Like I know that Vancouver, like I read about it and I've never had more intense FOMO than uh, seeing about the farm, like the Saison and Wild Ale Festival that was out at UBC Farm last year.
0: Yeah, I didn't get to go to that one. Um, I was emceeing a wedding that day. Yeah. And so which was also at UBC. And I seriously considered sneaking (laughs) off back and forth to go to the beer festival and then run across campus to talk for a bit and then back to the beer festival. Uh, But that kind of got kibosh.
1: You would have won simultaneous award for uh, best and worst person.
0: (laughs) Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I saw that and was just like, oh, that sounds perfect.
1: Yeah. And, and that sort of thing where like, yeah, you get... And that one's interesting because it's, it's simultaneously a theme, but it is actually a beer festival because it's out of a different space. But yeah. um, I feel like it's out like when, when your interests align with whatever the sort of terms of the event are. And, and for me recently, it's really cool to line up four or five different stouts or four or five different saisons or something and really start to dig into the, the differences between them. Yeah. Um, yeah, in that I, sense of wanting to learn more and and get more sort of educated about beer in general.
0: Yeah, I like that too. And the, like we don't see a lot of those kind of events in Vancouver. Um, the 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 Wild Ale and Farmhouse Beer Festival sort of, notwithstanding, we like a lot of the beer events in Vancouver are more your tap takeover style or your mm-hmm. festival style. There isn't a lot of sort of theme like stout night or, you know, sour night or something like that. And I do kind of wish there was. I mean, the only ones I can really think of is part of one of the events during craft beer week for at least the first three years was called Hoppapalooza. Oh,
1: uh, that's right. And I, I always heard good things and I never got a chance to go.
0: And I've never gone and it was always it was at the Alibi Room and it was always IPAs and Imperial and Imperial IPAs. Pretty much that was it. It was the hoppiest beers you can get. Um, and I never got to go to that. And, you know, honestly, like I like IPAs and we're going to be talking about IPAs later, to, later this episode, but they're not my favorite style. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I don't know. I think that hot, some of the shine of hopapalooza would be lost on me.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And, and that, that is the flip side of like, you know, you see an event and you're just like, I'm sure this is great, but it's not, it's either not a style that interests me or it's not a style that interests me at the moment. And, and in some ways it's nice because it's nice to yep. be able to look at an event and be like, I don't want to go to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> there it are, is.
1: There are, there are usually too many in the other direction. So it's nice to be able to look at one and be like, bah, check that off. Don't need it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
1: the final type that we want to talk about, and I, I think this is mostly going to be you because I have actually never been to one, but the notion of a beer pairing dinner or a beer pairing meal. Yeah. And I get, I get the concept, but I've never actually been to one. And you, as far as I understand, have been uh, to at least a
0: couple. Yeah, so beer, beer pairing dinners are actually becoming pretty common in Vancouver. It seems like we live across the street from Craft Beer Market, which is another one of the bigger beer beer restaurants in mm-hmm. Vancouver, in Vancouver, and they do. They see. I think they have a monthly beer pairing dinner, and it's usually it's it's about a sixty dollar ticket, and it includes um, four or five core and beers to go with each course. And I haven't actually been to one at Craft yet. Uh, just really, none, none of the menus that have been up have really, really like super grabbed me or anything. But usually the way it works is you get in the door and you'll have. So usually yeah, it's four or five courses, each with a beer specifically paired for that, whatever the chef has made. Always, almost always from one brewery. Uh, the only time I can think of it being more than one brewery was craft did on new year's this year, they did a craft a uh, beer pairing dinner with several different breweries. And so each course was paired with a beer from a different brewery. Oh, that's kind of cool. Which was kind of cool. And again, that's something like, I was like, no, that's kind of neat, but we already had, we had different new year's plans and it was, I, I think it was more expensive. It was a $90 thing or something like that. Mm-hmm. It had that new year, new year's Eve markup. Yep. I've, I've, there's one in particular beer pairing dinner that stands up as the sort of almost the be all and end all of beer events for me, at least. And it was Driftwood's Driftwood Brewing from Victoria had their fifth anniversary sort of, they, well, they had a fifth anniversary beer and they did a roughly fifth anniversary beer pairing dinner at Beercraft. It was marketed as four courses, but it ended up there. ended up being a fifth, a, a sort of special secret fifth course. For the last course, the owner of Beercraft, who also owns Bomber Brewing now, uh, Don, pulled out a case of the previous years. This was in November. And so we pulled out a case of the previous year's Singularity, which he had been holding on to oh, specifically man. for something like this. And so everyone was having, everyone got a pour of Singularity, and the pairing with it was uh peanut butter ch- peanut butter chocolate and bacon sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> which sounds kind of silly but was actually delicious especially with the super rich, dark, kind of boozy singularity. Yeah, I can imagine. It was awesome. I would say that beard pairing dinner was probably my favorite beer event I've ever been to. <laughs> um
1: and it, seem, it seems like in general, a big part of both of the beer education programs that we've been looking at, or the certification programs, I should say, both with, with Cicerone and Prudhomme, a big subject of it is that notion of pairing beer and food. And so getting to explore sort of the, the different styles and flavors of beer with food, I imagine, like it adds a complexity to, to it and and Probably is a really interesting thing. Like I've always meant to go to one because it always seems very interesting and seems like you'd get a lot out of it. And I've just never had the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it is it is fun. And uh I do look forward to going to more in the in the future. We just have to find one at craft, which is one of a brewery that I really want to go to. Yeah. So
1: I mean general feeling, uh beer events beer events by and large have a lot of benefit. Festivals, you know, kinda depends on the details. Yeah. It seems like um tap takeovers yes beer pairing dinners yes yep and and mostly just because yeah it seems to be like it's a good vehicle for getting to try new and different things especially when it's beyond you know something that you can normally get at the bc liquor store or the lcbo it seems like a lot of times that you know with events like this you'll get something different something sort of above and beyond and and especially being in that mode of wanting to learn more about it beer events are, are a good opportunity to to learn that little bit more and go that little extra step
0: Totally. Totally. Cool. Should we drink some beer? Yeah, I think so. All right. So our beer style of this episode, we went with everybody on the West Coast's favorite, IPAs. Yeah. Our common beer is Driftwood's Fat Tug.
1: Yeah, which is a recent, I mentioned it last podcast, but it's a recent addition to the LCBO. I don't actually know yet what they're. I, I've seen them at a lot of Toronto LCBOs. I don't know what their availability is outside of the Greater Toronto Area, but certainly it's it's great that we are getting this. I hope. I really hope it opens the door to getting more uh, Driftwood beers out in Ontario.
0: I'm curious. What I would. What I'm curious to know is what's the date stamp on your beer.
1: Um, and here is the trick. Uh, I don't believe there is a date stamp. Oh. Now.
0: I'm looking at mine and I don't have one either.
1: So. Yeah, and and I want to say when I bought one, when I uh, this is the second one that I bought from the LCBO and I think the original one that I bought was at the beginning of the year and it had it did have a date stamp and it was a it was a October bottling.
0: Okay. So that's so not too bad. Within
1: about 60 days, yeah. So, you know, IPAs is a style. Obviously, like in a word, it's hops. Right. Yeah. I mean yeah. that that is the defining characteristic of IPAs. Um, there there is variety, especially when you get into the notion of British IP, like very traditional style IPAs, which are going to be a much milder, usually lower alcohol, and and much less hoppy that, than you would expect if you're very used to the sort of West Coast or North American IPA. Yeah. Um, but but overall, like the 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 main characteristic in an IPA is going to be the hops. Um, yes. and, and the various and, and the different varieties. But with that comes the notion of freshness, which more, as far as I understand, more than any other beer style, like IPAs have the sort of built-in characteristic. They're supposed to be drank fresh because yeah. the hops will... The hop it, character is the first thing to change in the beer, and it will kind of go stale. Yeah. And as far as I understand, like, correct me if I'm wrong, there's usually kind of about a three-month window. It's sort of a 90-day window in which you can kind of count on it being fresh or or roughly what the character it remains consistent and then after that you can start to get different characteristics as the as the hop as the hops go stale essentially
0: yeah exactly exactly and i mean some people will take ipas and kind of age them just to see how they change because they will change drastically Mm -hmm. and some people like that personally i don't know that i would ever do that
1: yeah but, I, I have unintentionally done that because I bought some and then just they stayed in the fridge. I've done that from time to time.
0: Yep. 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 Yeah, like you were saying, IPA style, it's meant to be hoppy. The origins of the original British IPA was that they were extremely hoppy with the intention of, because hops act as a preservative uh, and higher alcohol content, which the original IPA, British IPA has also had a higher alcohol content than your standard beer. They were, they had preservative nature to allow the beer to be exported from Britain to India, which is where the name India Pale Ale comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous India Pale Ale, which in Canada at least, that markets itself as an India Pale Ale is Alexander Keith's. Oh, the which one is, and only. Which is nothing, which is absolutely not an IPA.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's an American equivalent. I feel like this is this uniquely Canadian thing of when I, like, I remember when I first became a fan of of IPAs in general and sort of the first thing you have to do is start explaining to everyone that you know how Keiths is not a real IPA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and what I find funny is that I mean Keiths at this point, you know, they they have a couple of different varieties, but they've they've also started doing the notion of like single hops, like single hop varieties of Keiths, which I cannot lie, I had one for the first time at a Blue Jays game and whether it was just cuz it was the only thing available uh or what like it wasn't it wasn't bad.
0: I haven't tried them yet. I, um, to be honest, I haven't tried them yet. So. I wouldn't
1: like. I wouldn't say seek them out because obviously, if you if you have better options, go for them. But in the same way that you admitted to Bud Light Lime last, I feel like I, I owe you one. And saying like I I had the Keith Single <laughs> Hop. I forget which one. I think it was the Galaxy Hop one. And I was like, this isn't terrible.
0: <laughs> so that's that. Actually, the intro to the the different hops. That's a an interesting sort of. I guess way to progress this is that once craft brewing took off in North America, especially in the Pacific Northwest, there were hops that were local to this area that brewers started putting in the beers that were way more intense than traditional European hops. Um, Some of the, some of the Pacific Northwest hops that are best known are things like Simcoe and, Amarillo and uh, Columbus and Chinook and Centennial and a bunch of so they're the and the the things about the things that make these hops unique they're higher in alpha acid which adds more bitterness and they're also extremely extremely uh, citrusy flavored usually Some of them are a little sort of maybe piney or something like that. But traditional British or traditional European hops tend to be a little bit more grassy, still bitter for sure, but lower in the alpha acid. And they tend to be a little more grassy, maybe herbaceous, as opposed to citrusy and fruity like the Pacific Northwest hops are. And that led to a sort of particular style of IPA. In and of itself, just those hops being available to brewers.
1: Yeah, which is, as far as I understand, the, the, um, the official beer style name is an American IPA at this point. But a lot of people think of it as a West Coast IPA because that it was a lot of breweries on the West Coast that, that sort of popularized that style. And like you say, the origin of a lot of the West Coast hops um, that especially grew in Washington and, and the Pacific Northwest. So yeah, I mean I'm looking now at uh, Driftwood's website. Uh, the hops involved are Cascade, Columbus, Centennial, Amarillo and Citra. And as far as I understand all of those are Pacific Northwest hops.
0: They are. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Okay, let's uh let's have a sip. All right. There's just something familiar and awesome <laughs> about that.
1: Yeah. It's it's funny cuz yeah, having it having it in Ontario now, it fe- it's like it's that little bit of taste of home. Yeah because having it and just remembering that like oh yeah like whatever the bar is near main and broadway that like this was one thing that they always had on tap and so like there's a level of just familiarity of having it and being like oh yeah that one like i got this
0: yeah yeah and it's delicious it's well balanced there's a little bit of sweetness from the malt one thing that some ipas i find have is that they lose some of the malt and it's just it's how many hops can we po- how many hops can we possibly pack into this beer uh who cares about the malt
1: yeah and that's right. i feel like that is one of the one of the difficulties with with ipas especially as the sort of uh, you know the as the years progressed especially the american ipa west coast ipa style and just people started pushing and pushing and and like and yeah hops became the one it became not about balance it became how bitter how big can we make this to the point that as far as i understand like human taste um, stops registering, um, bitterness above a certain point. Um, and, and so you get, you get like triple IPAs that are rated at like 200 IBUs. And as far as I understand, human taste caps out at like 160 ish.
0: I, th- I actually thought it was even lower than 160, but it yeah, might be, no, yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah, there, there's a point at which it's like, it doesn't matter anymore.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, like it, it became almost that competition thing in the same way that like there was that run of how strong can we make a beer to the point that it's not even beer anymore. Uh, it's, you know, there's yeah. there's those sorts of things. And yeah, I agree. Like it's it's nice to get a really well-balanced IPA that still has the sort of defining hop character, yeah, but that, that isn't just punch you in the head with hops and that's all they ever care
0: about. Yeah, yeah. And Fat Tug is outstanding it is i think it's i think it's one of the best beers that is a regular go-to beer like that's made Mm year-round in british columbia if not in canada
1: yeah i'd say it's one of the best yeah and and easily like if you're looking for something that is a very sort of quintessential west coast style ipa canadian um, and, and hopefully the fact that you can get it in Ontario means I, I haven't looked that hard, but hopefully it means that driftwood is expanding their distribution, maybe to other parts of Canada. But I would say like, if you can get it, if you're interested in IPAs, like get it, give it a shot and like stack it up against, against any other West coast style IPA and it'll hold its own.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So out of 10, what do you think?
1: It's tough. Cause on one hand I'm so biased, but like I'd easily like I'd go nine out of 10, but I'm a big IPA fan and I It's part of it's the home part of it is bias, but like, I I think it's great. So I'm going nine.
0: I also think it's great. It is amazing. Um, I'm going to go eight and eight and a half. Very fair. It's not, I mean, probably that half a point less is just because IPAs aren't my favorite style. I, I like IPAs and this is a very, very great example of an IPA. Yeah. Um, But I, and, but in reality, probably the best IPA in the world gets an eight and a half from me.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Like there's only, there's only so so high you go when it's not your style.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's
1: like, you still recognize that it's, it's good and it's well-made for it's, for what it does. Um, but like, I, I definitely have a couple of those styles where I'm like, I can recognize that this is really good, but it is not for me. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has, everyone has that blind spot. Yeah. um for me the main style that i just cannot do is brown ales
1: and i i, I can get behind a good brown ale for me it's it's there's a couple of people that i, re- I forget what i was reading something that was saying like well a true beer uh connoisseur is is gonna tell you that like pilsner is among their favorites and i'm like i do not like pilsners <laughs> at all wow. so apparently that's not me but
0: i like i like a good pilsner yeah um good crisp pilsner there's some of them that are great anyway yeah. IPA is probably in my top five favorite styles of beer, but it's just not my favorite. It's not yeah. it, my favorite. So That's fair. Do
1: um, you want to go with your, uh, your local selection next?
0: Sure. The beer I chose as my local selection is the India Pale Ale from Hearthstone Brewery. Um, Hearthstone is a new brewery in North Vancouver. It took over the old Taylor's Crossing location and the Taylor's crossing Taylor's crossing used to be where the red racer or no, sorry, the red truck line of beers was brewed. Okay. Um, and it, it was, so it was owned. It was owned by Mark James group who owns uh, red truck and Yaletown brew pub and big Ridge brewing, I think out in Surrey. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Hearthstone is a new brewery that took over that space. The first time I encountered them was at the Whistler Brew Festival last fall. They actually have a really impressive line of beers. Their tasting room isn't open yet because re, um, Taylor's Crossing was a, rest, was a brewery and restaurant. And they're completely redoing the space to be brewery. They're increasing the size of the brewery, decreasing the sort of restaurant size and turning it into just like a. they're, they're going to be doing wood-fired pizzas. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm re- I am really excited for when it's, op- when it's open. I keep checking on their Instagram and on their Facebook. And they're, as of yesterday, they were saying, not open yet, but it's coming really soon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have their IPA. Um, so I'm going to give this give this a sip. That's pretty good. It's not quite as well balanced as Fat Tug. There is still a decent amount of sweetness there. But it's a little heavier on the sort of the hops. Um, and it has that kind of IPA lingering aftertaste that can that some IPAs can have. And I don't know what it's from. I don't know whether it's from like the hop resin just being a little bit, just a little heavier, something like that. But whereas Driftwood kind of finishes soft and ends kind of clean, or the, the Fat Tug finishes soft and ends kind of clean, mm-hmm. this beer just kind of lingers at the back of the throat. And not in a bad way, but just kind of in almost that sticky feeling kind of way.
1: Yeah, there's, I can think of a couple of IPAs that, that, I, that I've had that experience with, that same sort of, yeah, the stickiness in the throat is a good way of describing it.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, it, and it's, it's, yeah, it's funny that it, that, that kind of happens, it, it must be a, something to do with the hops. Because I've only ever really found it in like hoppy beers, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's got kind of that lingering aftertaste. Yeah, and it's it's not an unpleasant one. Overall, this beer is very good. I would say I'd give it maybe a seven and a half. Not um, bad. Yeah, it's good. It's got a lot of the stone fruit flavors that it's talking about. It's very citrusy. It's very there's a, there's some some hints of of sort of p- of pink grapefruit more than like a white grapefruit because it's not sour. It yeah it's it's nice it's really nice and I would definitely it comes in it comes in Hearthstone's beer what they're doing for their packaging they're putting out four packs of uh, 500 milliliter can or 473 milliliter cans okay which is I guess 473 milliliters I think is an imperial pint I think Thanks. and so it's
1: I I will take your word for it it's
0: one one pint cans and they're putting out four packs of them which is great um, we've actually. Uh, as as a sidebar, one of the other, or one of the other beers that they have is a chocolate. One of their seasonals is a chocolate milk stout, Oh, and nice. We, we've gone through several four packs of it. <laughs> so, in addition to this beer being very good, all of the stuff we've had from Hearthstone so far, big thumbs up. So, Not bad. West Coast listeners, give your ch- if you get a chance, check out Hearthstone. Pretty good. Yep. So, what'd you get?
1: So uh, the selection I got is from Sawdust City Brewing, which is out of Gravenhurst in Ontario. Uh, and it's their Lone Pine IPA. Um, so it's a, it's a year round uh, and it's available from the LCBO. So I didn't go, I went with a limited last time. So I figured I'd go for something uh, that's a bit easier to obtain this time. So uh, we're looking at uh, Summit, Simcoe, Columbus, and Chinook hops. Um, and on their website, it describes it as their take on a, on a West Coast style IPA. Cool. Um, so with initial pour, like it's a little bit darker than the fat tug, okay. Um, but still within that sort of kind of IPA color range. Uh, I'm going to try it out now. Hmm. So it's not, it's, it's good. Um, it's milder. And to be fair, it lives up to his namesake. Like it has much more of that sort of pininess that you can get from some of the hop varieties.
0: Yeah. I don't remember. Did you say, is there Simcoe in it?
1: There is. So there's Simcoe. Yeah. Well, let me just check the can again. Yeah. Simcoe and Chinook as well, which if I remember Simcoe. correctly, Chinook also has kind of a piney character or I, can.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I don't, I'm not as familiar with Chinook, but I know that I've used, I've homebrewed with Simcoe a few times and it is the really, really piney one. Yeah. Of the, of the Pacific Northwest hops, Simcoe is the one that tastes like a tree, whereas most of them taste like citrus.
1: But it is good. And I feel like it's got I mean the the three other hot varieties that they're using, I feel like balance it out. So you still do get some of that citrusy character. Yep. Um but it's it's nicely balanced actually with a slight with, with the sort of the more the pininess of of I guess the Simcoe. Um so it feels like it's got a little bit of balance. It's less bitter, I would say, than the fat tug.
0: One of the things that I found some sort of I guess less well made IPAs can kind of do is they're Lots of hop aroma and lots of hop flavor, but no bitterness. Mm-hmm. And that would come from the way the brewing works. When you add hops early in the boil, and with they are what are called bittering hops, and you they pretty much they don't add any aroma, but they add the bitterness. Whereas if you add the hops at the end, it has the or it's referred to as finishing hops which add the aroma and some of the hoppy flavors. And it, it does take some, it, it's a bit of a challenge to balance off how much bittering hops versus how much finishing hops. Cause if you've too much at the beginning, then you're just, the, the hop is just, or the, the beer is just quite bitter without being, having any of those delicious like floral and um, citrusy and piney flavors. Whereas if you go the other way, it just is a little bit perfumey and not with not as much sort of backing it up.
1: And there's nothing weirder than, you know, getting an IPA and getting that aroma and expecting something that's kind of just this big bitter flavor and it just not following through. Yeah. So definitely finding that balance is, it, it seems to be kind of a tough thing, but I think this one pretty much nails it. Like it's got a good aroma and it's also consistent. Like it's not that kind of, sometimes you can get that where the, the, aromatic hops and the bittering hops are quite different in character so it smells like one thing and you get the taste and, and it's not what you were expecting
0: yeah um, yeah
1: i feel like this is actually this is really nice a little bit of a milder ipa as far as things go
0: cool cool what would you rate it
1: i'm torn between a seven and a half out of or, or an eight i'll go eight i mean it's, go. it, it's good i would easily have more it feels like someone not from the west coast making a west coast style ipa
0: right on I actually, I have a, a friend who's from Guelph and he was, he was, he and his wife were back visiting, uh, we're back visiting family. I think it was, I think it was over Thanksgiving. Uh, and I just, I remember him saying, I, re, I asked him, I was like, Oh, you know, what, what was the beer like? He's like, Oh, there's a couple breweries in Guelph and everything that's labeled as an IPA would maybe be a, a pale ale, but more likely an amber ale on the West coast. <laughs>
1: I've found that, by and large, it's it's not a wrong assessment, I think. I there Like, there are some breweries that are doing a good job. I mean, when I think of IPAs, I actually, I, I meant to get one. I never got around to it. But um, a lot of the beers that uh, Great Lakes Brewery, which is out of, I guess they're technically Etobicoke, I think. I, I may have that wrong, but Greater Toronto Area. Um, but Great Lakes Brewery is does really well with their IPAs. Um, are they the ones
0: that have the Mad Tom? No, that's Muskoka. That's Muskoka Brewing, yeah. Yeah, okay. So
1: um, Great Lakes has, uh, like, their standard, their everyday beers are okay, but where they really stand out is their seasonals and their limiteds, and by and large, a lot of them are just different variants on IPAs and Imperial IPAs. Okay. And given, I guess the one thing we never touched on Given that we have a punny name, is that like there is? I feel like there's always that trend of breweries to make um, name their IPAs with a pun on the word hop. Oh, so yeah. you've got from Great Lakes, there's um, there's Robo Hop, there's okay. Aud- Audrey Hopburn, yep, there's uh, those are the two I'm thinking of right now. There's Citra Diction, so it's a the Citra Hop, um, a couple other things, but like they're yeah they.
0: Those are some of the better ones. I like Audrey Hopburn. That's um, a pretty good one, right? The par- Parallel 49 probably has the most punny names on the West Coast. <laughs> um, and the one they they've got an Imperial IPA which they is kind of a seasonal and is this is the second time they've put it out and it just came out recently is uh 187 on an undercover hop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now a, a, a mutual friend actually texted me uh to tell me exactly about this um yeah. just about the fact that this beer existed yeah
0: um and yeah it, it's it's and it's really good but yeah that's that's the sort of the best pun yeah. although they also they did a black i think it must have, was it a black hype no it wasn't it was a um a black lager that was just called black hops
1: yeah pretty good
0: yeah so yeah parallel forty nine. They've got some punny names
1: there's something about ipas and the word hop that just make people want to think of the punniest name they can think of yep but yeah i would easily point to great lakes as an example of uh a brewery out here in eastern canada that's doing really really good ipas um but but also the variety the variety with which they're they're doing it the fact that at any given time they've probably got three or four different ipas out or available yeah. Um, is, is sort of a testament to them kind of trying to do different things with the style.
0: Yeah. Now that you say that, I actually, I think it was two years ago, I was looking at the winners at the Canadian Beer Awards, which, I mean, beer awards, that's definitely a topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do remember that there, it was, I think there was at this particular year, I want to say two years ago, there were at the Canadian Beer Awards. There was a gold, silver, and a tie for bronze, and three out of the, those four beers were from Great Lakes.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'll be honest, and and yeah, they they, I think recently redid their branding and things like that for a number of their beers, and I think all their cans now have the like, winner Great Canadian Beer Award, uh, logo or or notice on them.
0: Yeah, I think we're over time again. So yep, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, there's one note I would like to end it on. Um, I don't know if you've Googled Hoppy Night in Canada yet.
1: Uh, I have, and I think I know where you're going, but keep going.
0: Apparently, there's a brewery in Ontario called Granite Brewing, which once made a beer called Hoppy Night in Canada.
1: Oh, yeah. True story. I live about 10 minutes away from Granite Brewing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I don't... I think that it was the impression that I get from reading about it, it was a limited, like a a limited release several years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I suspect that they won't have any problem with us stepping on their toes with our name or anything like that. I just thought it was funny that when Kaylin was looking for the podcast, she stumbled across granite brewing hoppy night in Canada. (laughs) Okay. I think on that note, we'll sign off.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody.
1: Cheers.